podcast hostess. This podcast is for the data nerd and the data nervous. All are welcome. Welcome back to our listeners. This week is part one of a two-part series titled, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? This podcast this week and next week actually has no data to speak of. So you might be asking, why am I including it? I come to you because you give me numbers and there's nothing I like more than to be driving in my car listening to you read a table. But I've been thinking recently about why I started this podcast, and I believe everyone knows that I'm a professor by trade since I certainly mention it often enough. I talk for a living. I teach for a living. I have three degrees, so that means it's Dr. Pauline Hoffman. Thank you very much as I introduce myself. That should give me some street cred, I hope, right? My first degree is in biology. My subsequent two degrees are in communication. If you go to any of my online accounts, including datadoyen.com, which I hope you do frequent, you will see that I describe myself as a leader, professor, entrepreneur, advocate, speaker, writer, strategist, creative thinker, data nerd, gentlewoman farmer, and accidental athlete. Over the past several years, I've seen a move away from science and reason, And generally speaking, this is not a political podcast until this week and next. More on that in just a second. I wanted to try to bring us back to reason by having some fun with science, having fun with data, but also by tackling pretty relevant and pretty serious topics. So, so far on the podcast, we've had COVID, we've had cybersecurity, we've had cryptocurrency. Those are some pretty serious topics, but we've also discussed things like National Park Week and National Dairy Month which are topics that aren't necessarily as serious. And I've done that on purpose because I want to do more than just give you the data and talk about the data, but I want to share with you some of the stories and some of the fun that you can have and how you might be able to use data and what you might be able to do with that. Now, I want people to understand what data are relevant, what information is relevant. I want people to know how to find relevant and truthful information. I want to teach people what to do with it once they've got the information. I want to show that data and information may be used for good should not be used for evil, though some do. We don't like those people. And I want to create a space for those who are not data nerds but are data nervous. I want to steer folks away from rumors and untruths, from misinformation and disinformation, and steer you to truthful information. That's what my goal is. I get lost in data and information. I will read an article, circle a key point, and go dig for more information. And I often find myself circling and going down rabbit holes. I'll read something and think, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't look right. And I do more digging, and I get lost in that digging. And I also wanted to issue a caveat, and I did this in the very first podcast. I don't know everything. I do, however, know what I don't know. And this podcast will comment on information I find and on information provided by others. And if, after I present that information and data, and I find better information and data, I'm certainly going to course correct. We're all better for evolving and admitting when mistakes have been made. And keep in mind, too, that so much of what we hear and read and see right now is based on the best information we have in hand right now. And I speak about this specifically related to COVID, which I'm going to touch on in the coming weeks. So this week and next, we're talking about why can't we all just get along in the context of politics, which I'll explain shortly. But then I also have been working on a project that's been so incredibly exciting for me and has caused me to kind of step back. I took a week off last week with Thanksgiving on purpose because 
I'm taking a look at my purpose and taking a look at where I want to go with things. And I'm starting with a couple of political topics, perhaps not the best idea. You judge as you will. That's what listeners do. And then I'm going to really try to pivot just a little bit and dig more into very serious topics because I think that's something that we need to do. So I want to circle back, though, before I get too much. Now that everybody's listening, thinking, I don't even know where she's going. Has she reached some sort of an epiphany? I want to circle back to the content this week and next. Why can't we all just get along? One of my favorite programs on our campus is the Congress to Campus program. This program is sponsored by the Association of Former Members of Congress. And this description of the program is taken directly from the group's website, For more than 40 years, FMC's flagship program, Congress to Campus, has provided college students with a unique civic education by engaging them in honest dialogue with bipartisan teams of former members of Congress. Now, this year, I was able to interview the two representatives who came to our campus. I told them I wanted to interview them so that I might share the interview on this podcast, but also so that I might share their comments in my graduate-level classes. I am currently teaching a, uh, a, a conflict resolution course in our leadership program, and I'm also going to incorporate this into crisis management and crisis communication. So if you hear me on the podcast referencing conflict resolution or my specific class, please know that I'm using this podcast as a dual purpose because I think it's a, por- a topic that's important enough. So forgive me if you hear that reference. Now, I've broken the podcast into two segments because we talked for nearly an hour. Both episodes tackle the topic of conflict resolution, leadership, personal experiences, and more importantly, working in a bipartisan way, which I think is incredibly important to think about why can't we all just get along? Why can't we find what is common and work from a common denominator, so to speak, and then try to resolve our conflicts and try to solve problems? working together because we're going to be better together than apart. Now, I will issue a warning. I don't tend to get as political as I've gotten this week and next. When you talk to former members of Congress, sometimes that happens. Turns out Congress is political. Perhaps you did not know. Some of what is discussed may upset and it may rankle you. And I actually did struggle with that in putting this podcast together. I think the conversation the three of us had is a very good one. And I hope that you enjoy it, and I hope that you take from it what I took from it myself. So now, most of the reason why I kept the conversation largely unedited is because we have one representative from each party. So we were fortunate to welcome Peter H. Kostmeyer, who was a Democrat from Pennsylvania. He was a congressman for 14 years in the 80s and early 90s. And then we had David A. Trott, a Republican from Michigan, who served in Congress for four years more recently, from 2015 to 2019. This is their conversation. Welcome. I'm very excited that I'm able to have a conversation today with two former members of Congress, Peter Kosmeyer, who's a a Democrat from Pennsylvania, the Congressional District 8 outside of Philadelphia, correct? Correct. Serving in Congress from 1977 to 1981, and then again from 1983 to 1993, so you're a more seasoned member. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then, you said that I didn't I, say that. <laughs> well, it's that's that's the way I phrase that right. when we're talking. We all know what that means, though. Uh, and then I also have David Trot, who's a Republican member of Congress from Michigan's 11th district, congressional district, just outside of Detroit. Correct. And uh, he served from 2015 to 2019. 
And both are here as part of the Congress to Campus program, which is a wonderful program that one of my colleagues, Dr. Bart Lambert, who those of you who've listened to the podcast have heard him before because he came on in our WTF episode, the What the Filibuster episode, to try to explain what that is exactly and why we have it. So we don't, we're not talking about the filibuster here today, but Congress to Campus is a wonderful program that brings both the Democrat and a Republican to campuses to engage in honest civic dialogue, to talk about issues, but then also how can we all get along, essentially. And because I'm doing this for class that's related to conflict resolution, um, organizational performance, but I also teach public relations and crisis communication, so I like conflict, it turns out. Um, <laughs> but this is primarily for our students in the leadership program, so what I'd like to talk about first is perhaps why you decided to be leaders, because as members of Congress, you're essentially leading within your own district. So what made you decide, you know what, I think I'd like to be a congressman. And I don't know who wants to start. I think Dave wants to go first. Because I, I don't have a great answer to that. People ask me that a lot, and I'm mm -hmm. sure they ask Dave that a lot. I don't have a ter terrific answer. Dave, I think, has a better answer. Well, any answer is going to be true because, you know, for students who are thinking, perhaps I want that next level, you may, they may be thinking the same thing. Like, I'm not well, sure. Well, Dave's a little this. different because okay. he had a career and a, you know, a very important, serious career and then decided to run for Congress later okay. in, in life. So it wasn't something you decided to do. Well, I'll let Dave speak for okay. himself. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, uh, it's a good question. And, and some people are, are, uh, driven to, to run for office and, and want to serve in Congress because they're passionate about an issue or they see a terrible injustice and they feel like they can uh, do better and, and, and solve it. And, uh, you know, I think in some respects, Peter, I think, you know, the uh, Delaware River, I think, was uh, the issue that motivated you a few years back to, to, to run. And for me, you know, I had, uh, as Peter mentioned, I had a, a fairly significant business career. I had companies, we had a couple thousand people working there, and I enjoyed leading and building and growing those organizations, and, and uh, I was very proud of the fact that we had very little attrition. No one ever really left my organization uh, and, um, and, and any, any of any significant position, and, and so I felt like I could motivate people, and I thought that if I got to Congress, I could work on issues that uh, were important to me, and, and I re realized going in it was a dysfunctional place, so I didn't think that I would get there and and solve all the world's problems in my first couple terms. Uh, but really what triggered my decision to run was in 2012, there was basically a meltdown of our incumbent congressman, Thaddeus McCotter. Long story short, he got kicked off the ballot for turning in uh, fraudulent signatures to get his name on the ballot. And the only person left on the ballot was a, a, a very kooky, strange man. And so after he won, I said to my wife, you know, I think I'm a good person to represent this district, but I know this guy is not the right person. And because of the power of incumbency, I didn't think that anyone really would be in a position to have a good chance of taking him out of office. And so I jumped in the race, and, and we were able to beat him in the primary. Peter, your story. Yeah, well, I, I don't have a great story, except that politics has always interested me. Uh, I'm... I'm some years older than Dave, and I remember back in 1956 when I was 10. Um, I come from a Republican family. Uh, my father was a Republican businessman in New York. I would spend most of my time as a 10-year-old in the Eisenhower headquarters. Uh, you know, you know, mostly with like 70-year-old women. Uh, 
collecting buttons and talking. And I, 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 I love politics. I love the atmosphere around politics, the events, the people, the involvement, the community, the engagement. I thought that was interesting. And then I, my politics changed a, a little in the 60s, like a lot of people in this country. And uh, I had an opportunity, our congressman, who I had voted for, a Repub moderate Republican, who my family had supported, decided not to run again, and it was an open seat. Um, and I had really not a very good chance. It was a, quite a Republican district in those days. But I, but I ran. I, got, I won the primary. I ran. And fortunately for me, there was a third-party candidate in the race, a conservative. So the, the conservative or the Republican vote was split, and I squeaked in by 1,312 votes. Um, so, there, so there I was. I just turned 30 in September of the election year. And it was, um, and it was an amazing experience. And I think the thing... I'm talking too long, but the thing I remember is there had been an enormous controversy in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, near where I live, where the great battle of the American Revolution was fought, and an effort to acquire a very modest amount of land, about seven acres, and prevent it from being developed into a shopping center. And I went to the chairman of a subcommittee I served on on national parks named Phil Burton from California, and he said, well, that's no problem. We'll just don't even bring it up in the committee. We'll put it in what they call the mark in the bill that comes before you. Put it in. I said, well, I want to give a speech. He said, no, 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 give a speech. Yeah. If you give a speech, <laughs> you'll focus this. attention on it. Well, I, I need to have a news conference. No, 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 have a news conference. <laughs> well, I want to go to the floor. No, 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 no. Just be quiet, Kostmeyer. It's in there. It's a seven acres. It's in the bill. Nobody cares about it but you. It's a minor issue. And sure enough, the government bought the land. When it was all done, I said, Phil, can I have a news conference? He said, now you can have a news conference. I went back to Philadelphia. People had been fighting this for 40 years to save this little block. It was done. You can make a difference as a member of Congress. Now, maybe that's a small thing, but you can make a difference. Uh, and that is really what, what, what impressed me. And how important, I remember Dave said uh, the other day that when he had done some travel as a member of Congress, when you're in a foreign country, you realize what the role of Congress and what the role of this country is. It, it, it's a big deal. It may not be a big deal here, um, but it can be a big deal other places. Well, what's interesting is that last year and this year, I've worked the local polls in one of our local communities, and we are in a heavily Republican area yeah. down here in uh, southern tier of western New York. And it's so amazing to me. I actually said to someone, I said, well, you know, last year was a big election, obviously. This year, it's not, it's not so big. And the woman said, oh, we have a very contested supervisor race. Mm -hmm. And boy, was it. They were, they were worried, and actually the, um, some of the election folks were concerned that perhaps they needed to have sheriffs at the end of the night mm -hmm. because some of this was really contested. So voting matters. Yeah. That's my, I'm going to put that out there as my sort of public service announcement. <laughs> you may think that it doesn't matter, but particularly in some of these local elections where they're won by a handful of votes. Now, yours was not a local. It was a national election that, well, for Congress, but 1,300 votes, that's that's not a lot of people. No. Really. I mean, that's that's yeah. a pretty tight margin. But, you know, when you talk about the supervisor's race, uh, Peter, over the last couple of days, has, has told the students, you know, to ask about the, the, the acrimony in Congress and the public discourse that seems so strained and, and the polarization and all that. And you, you have a great answer, you know. You know, politics is a combat sport. You know, it's a blood sport. And, and, and it's not for the faint of heart. And, and so the supervisor's race is... is it, while it's maybe unfortunate that it, it maybe has gone negative and people are so worked up about it, that's kind of the nature of the beast, right? So, you know. that's, that, that's right. And I think people probably, the average person probably really doesn't like politics, you know. It's unfortunate. Uh, but the average person says, oh, 
you know, I would go to a function, and I'm sure this happened to Dave. I would go to a function back in my district, and people say, we're going to have a nice time tonight. We're not going to talk about politics. And I said, well, this is going to be a boring night. You know. <laughs> what am I doing here? I want to talk about politics. <laughs> you know, why would you invite me to dinner, and you're not going to talk about what I do for a living? Uh, but I think people, increasingly, they don't like politics. Because it is kind of, it is nasty. People insult each other, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. Which they didn't do it, that, but as Dave said, it's a blood sport. And is it the question is that we've been talking about the last couple of days? Has it gotten bloodier? Uh, is it is it too bloody? Is it is something going off the tracks here? That's what we've been talking about. We don't have any answers, but uh, that's what we've been talking about. And I think that's a struggle, too. I mean, certainly you say that politics is a blood sport. I'd say any leadership position, you're going to be faced with these issues. If you think you're going to be a leader and it's going to be, you know, this paved road, you know, gold path or something, forget it. I mean, you're going to be facing all kinds of obstacles dealing with different folks. Like in life. Exactly. I want to go back to something that you said, David. You were talking about um, your, the companies that you had, and I, I don't know if you are still involved in the companies now that you're not in, in Congress, but you mentioned that there was low attrition because you were able to motivate folks. Can you talk a little bit about what you think made you successful in that area? Like, How were you able to motivate people, or how did you get them to want to stay? Well, you have to place a value on uh, loyalty and, and Longevity, number one. So, you know, if that's not a, princi- a core principle in your organization, then you're, you're going to have a hard time keeping people. And I, you know, I was always of the mindset that if I had a good person, I didn't want to ever give them a reason to leave. So with all the key executive team, we would I would do their reviews every year, and we'd go through what they did well and what they could work on. And then at the end of the discussion, I would say, now, what, what should we raise you to? Hmm. And they'd say, well, I'm not going to negotiate against myself. I said, well, I know what I'm going to raise you to. I just need to know if my number is going to be higher or lower than your expectation, your realistic expectation. Don't give me some crazy number that you're trying to think this is not a negotiation. I need to know where your mind's going to be after we're done talking because if you're happy, then I know we, we got a good deal for another year and we'll keep working together. And if you're unhappy, then we need to talk about some more stuff. And my number was almost always higher than their number. Really? And so no one ever left. And uh, and we were fortunate. The business grew 29 years in a row, year over year. So we, we never had to really work through uh, economic challenges. And so we're blessed in that regard. But uh, but just treat people how they expect to be treated, be fair. And and then you need to check your arrogance at the door, you know. And, uh, you know, the organization or the leader is just not... You know, people aren't there because the person is so wonderful and they're just blindly loyal to that him or her. They're there because it's a good opportunity for them to provide for their family and, and develop their career. And you can't get carried away with a kind of like, well, people just love me and, and this is a great place because I'm a great leader. It's it's a great place because you, you, you give them what they need to stay. And I'll, I'll go back to something that you had said too, and I apologize, I'm not remembering the name of the gentleman you referenced, but... Um, one of the things we talk about, too, in the classes and that I've talked about in the podcast are is um, leading across generations, you know, so you've got, what, four or five generations in the workforce now, and, of course, it's the kids these days phenomenon where we always think, you know, you're a 21-year-old and you're a slacker and you're, you know, any number of things, but every generation when they were 21 was the slacker and, and so on. Um, but you referenced the gentleman who said, no press conference right now, yeah. hang on. Congressman Burton of thank Cal- you, thank you. from California. Um, and you listened to him. So can you talk about a little bit perhaps about how you need to be respectful of those who have been doing this? Well, you need to be respectful of people who have experience. 
at doing something. And, uh, you know, I was very young. I was very inexperienced. I had never run a business. I met people who had built businesses and uh, employed people and, and provided, given them an opportunity to provide for their families. That's tremendously important, a lot more important than what I was doing. Anybody could do what I could do, obviously. I selected the 30. I'd never had a really serious career. Um, but what they were doing was, was, was essential, and you have to respect that. And as, you know, as a liberal Democrat, I had to say you know, sometimes to my colleagues, these are the people who are the foundation of the society, not, not us. Anybody can do this job. Nobody can do what they've done. They've been, built a successful business. And you, and, and you have to, and I believe that, you have to respect people for what they're, what they're doing. And as Dave said, you, you have to treat people decently, you know, everybody. And I think it is about checking your arrogance probably at the door. And I remember once I was running to make a vote across, I was toward the end of my time in the Rayburn building running across, I guess it's Constitution Avenue right by the Capitol. And I ran, you know, it was a red light and I ran through and the uh, cops blew the whistle and screamed at some guy. He'd almost hit me. Well, it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. And, you know, so you have to, and you can, your head can get, you can get a swelled head. Uh, when you're 30, when you've just turned 30 and you're a member of Congress, you can get a swelled head. And there needs to be somebody around who says, you have a swelled head, Gossmeyer, take it down a notch. Can you talk a little bit about how you connected with your constituents? You know, so we've talked about the leadership within your organization, but how did you, once you were elected, how were you able to connect with your constituents and understand what it is they wanted or needed, and then how? Well, uh, there's two primary ways to connect. Uh, one is involuntary insofar as the zealots reach out to you and tell you what you're doing wrong or doing right, and, and that is constant, right? Letters, emails, phone calls to the office, and we track those, and I would get summaries of what people were thinking. And I never thought that was necessarily a great uh, sample of what was going on back in the district because, again, those are folks that either watch Fox News or watch MSNBC, you know, 24-7, and so they have their particular points of view. So, But you look at it and, and want to, you know, get a snapshot of what people are saying and emailing. Uh, the better path is, and, and this really speaks to the job, which, you know, again, I, I used to say this when I was in office, and my district manager discouraged me because he, he said, you know, people aren't worried about how hard members of Congress have to work. But if you're going to do the job right, uh, it is an 80-hour-a-week job. And it's uh, whether you're in D.C. or back home. And when you come home, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I created some, some tension in our household because I would say to my wife, oh, I'm going to finish voting at noon. I'm going to hop on the 1245 flight. I'll land in Detroit at 2. And, um, and she's, oh, great. You, we can come home and see the kids and then we'll have an early dinner. No. I say, well, no, I got four events when I land and I'll be home about 830. And she said, well, we're not waiting for you for dinner. <laughs> and and uh, uh, partly why you left. Yeah, it is a big part. You had a family and yeah. you had a wife and, and they, you had a couple of kids yeah. and you put that first, apparently. Right. Yeah. And, and, Good for you. And, and so, but, but those four events yeah. are a great opportunity to, to hear firsthand from some of the average folks in the, in the district, you know, not average, but and not the people that are thinking about politics 24-7 necessarily, what they're thinking, what they, because it might be a, a, a religious group, it might be a business group, it could be a, you know, a health care group, whatever, but they're, you know, they're not talking to you just because they're interested in politics, they're talking to you because they happen to have a business and you're there. And that was the best, probably the best way to keep in touch with the, the thoughts and what was going on in the district. Well, I mean, you, 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 you get elected and you have a, 
set of point of views and and uh, points of view, and people, most people either agree, agree with you or, or they don't. There were a certain percentage of the people in the district who were never going to vote for me. The 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 people who were uh, strong believers in the anti-abortion cause uh, were, were never going to vote for me. I was pro-choice. That there was no point. They would come to the meetings. They come to Washington in January every January for the march, I, I would meet with them because that's my obligation, to meet with them. They've taken the time and the trouble to come from Bucks County to Washington, even though it was unpleasant, I, I had to meet with them. So I think you have a set of views and people kind of know generally where you are. Um, and it was always, you know, touch and go, marginal for me. I probably, uh, I, I probably should have been more reflective of my district than I was and maybe less independent. I was probably a little too liberal for, for the district. But that was the way it was, and that's what I did. And and people often in Washington would say, you know, you have to cool it a little here. Uh, <laughs> you need to get your National Taxpayers Union up from maybe, like, get it up to a five, if you can, from a zero. Uh, or your NFIB, National Federation of Independent. You know, you need to. And I probably, sh I, I didn't want to do that. I should have. Maybe I didn't want to do that. So I didn't. Do you consider yourself <clears throat> servant leaders, then, while you're members of Congress? Servant leaders, yeah, sure. I think um, Pope John said to govern is to serve. And I think that's true, to govern is to serve. So we're, we are servants. We are public servants. And don't forget it. There's always somebody there to remind you. Right. Somebody in a diner on your way out, you know, some lady, she'll remind you. And that's important. Many years ago, a good friend gave me a, a book. I said, I think, you know, you think you enjoy this book, Dave. And the title of the book is The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, hmm. written by Robin Sharma. And uh, the uh, gist of the book is, is a very uh, fatal fable. It, it, the story it says basically the very successful trial lawyer had all the trappings of success, a plane, a boat, a Ferrari. Yeah. And uh, in the middle of one of his big trials, he had a massive heart attack. He recovered. He went off to Nepal to study with the monks to find the true meaning of life and discovered that the only way to have true happiness is to help others. And that's probably what Congress is all about, if you really are there for the right reason. And you get, I think you do get tremendous pleasure out of doing something that's tangible and, mm -hmm. and helpful to people. And even, as Dave talked and the other day, individual constituent problems. People take the time and trouble to come and meet with their member of Congress because they're having a serious issue. Federal government is a vast and mysterious place. And uh, it, you need sometimes a little help navigating it. And uh, I was always amazed that my caseworkers would could pick up the phone and just cut right through. You get a, a federal agency gets a call from a member of Congress, they pay attention. Yeah, that that was one of the you know having that was one of the surprises for yeah. me is is you know we were setting up a team when I got elected to work on the casework and the constituent problems, and I thought you know I wonder how effective this is. And very quickly I realized, oh, no, no, when we call our liaison at some of these agencies, things happen very quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was very gratifying that yeah. people would call up with big problems and we would get to the bottom of it within a matter of a day or so. And they think we were miracle workers. It was very, very rewarding. And they never, and they don't forget it. You right. see them, you know, years later and they, they'll, yeah. they'll remember. Because it was important. Something was important. You can't let that go to your head, right? <laughs> No, it's, no, I don't think you're, because you're not, it's, it, that's, you know, what causes people to, to get a jaded view of their importance there is all the people holding open doors and calling yeah. you sir, and every place they go, they want to feed you and take care of you, and, 
and they're very deferential and all that uh, crap. So that's what causes people to think they're special. I think most people would just be gratified that, that someone was stranded in you know Saudi Arabia and you got them home. That's probably, that's just a good day, right? I sometimes <laughs> think what kind of impact this has had on, a, on AOC, a relatively young woman who was a bartender and is, is surely now a national figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, I was reading an article the other day in a local, in the local paper, and uh, people were trying to visit her, and apparently it's very difficult for her constituents to get an appointment. And the reporter went to her district office in Queens, New York, and it was closed. Um, and the sign said, we're working remotely. But other elected officials had it was a government building. Other elected officials on the same floor, their offices were all open and people were going in and out. And I thought to myself, mm, big mistake. Fewer trips to LA, more trips to Queens because the problem can develop. And once that reputation starts and gets going, she surprised Joe Crowley. Somebody could surprise her. Mm-hmm. So, But it must have an amazing actually- impact on her. I mean, she must go to bed at night and think, Man, what happened? Where am I? What's going on? You know, I think about that because her specifically, because she is such a national figure yeah, now. Yeah, she's in many ways an appe- very appealing right, person, and right. And I'm following that because I'm wondering how that's going to play out. You know, the next when she's up for re-election again. Well, she has a very safe district, right? Um, but it's things are starting to turn a little. She had a rosy year, right, but right. doesn't last. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to our special guests, Peter Kosmeyer and David Trott. Thank you to Bryce Murphy, who wrote and recorded the show music. Logo designed by Liam McGurl. For more information and to access the data discussed on this week's episode, visit datadoyen.com. Also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Links are on the website. If you like this podcast, tell all your nerdy friends and have them tune in. Podcasts drop on Thursdays. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Mountain Botanicals, Tippy Homestead, The Sparkworks Studio, Dog Nanny Originals, Ratchet Salon, and St. Bonaventure University's Political Science Department. To sponsor, send me a message on the website.